Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. This, this sermon series we've been going through, La Familia, is meant to be giving us all a vision and picture of what it means to be God's family together and what it means to see these kind of households of faith emerge in these smaller spaces in our homes, what we call oikos. In the, in the first century, they called oikos, which was this extended family on mission together. And I keep, every week I walk away thinking, we're not giving clear enough examples and pictures of what it looks like to do it. And, and so today I'm hoping to give some clear pictures and also what we're trying to do, we're, we're not trying to invent something new. So when we talk about microchurch and this network of microchurch, what we're really trying to do is what the first century church was forced into because of the experience that they were in. And I think that it's a better way of being the people of God for right now. We think from a mission standpoint, it's important for us to get small, to get intimate, to be formed in the way of Jesus, and then to step out and be a part of what God's up to as exiles in a world that is opposed to what God is doing. And so that's why we do microchurch and this network thing is we believe that it's going back to the first century. And fundamentally, we believe that it's also rooted in how Jesus showed us how to make disciples. We're not doing it because we think that it's like this neat new way of doing it. We're looking at Jesus and saying, how did he help his disciples become like him? And how did he help his disciples then create these oikos communities that looked more like Jesus. So um, we're going to look at a couple things as a refresher real quick. First of all, we've talked about the rhythms. What makes a micro church? What makes micro church? What is the simplest form of church? And we, we call it our radical minimum ecclesiology, which is like fancy for the minimum viable product for what it means to be church. I got a little picture for you here. I drew it in crayon. Nope, not that one. That one. <laughs> that would be incredible. Hyper realism with crayons. It's a new thing. As an artist, I'm trying to. Ex- um, so, so this is what we talk about. We talk about the the minimum ecclesiology of what it means to be the church is up, in, and out. It's rhythms of deep connection with Father, with God, deep formation in community through shared life together, which is in. And then the out is participating in God's mission in the world by stepping into his calling to bring justice and proclaim the kingdom of God in the world. So up, in, and out. That's our, our kingdom, um, uh, our, our, our minimum ecclesiology. And when we talk about up, we're talking about connection with the Father. And so this is about presence, not necessarily about activity. And so when we're talking about like that up component, we're talking about how are we finding space to be intimate with God as Father. And I would say this includes everything 
that looks like prayer. And so when we talk about up, we're talking about our personal times in prayer and our prayer closets at home. We're talking about our prayer gatherings and our prayer time in our microchurch communities. We're talking about, did you guys know that singing is prayer? Like, like this, this should be something that's really formative for us, but singing is an activity of prayer where we are speaking to God and telling him what is happening with us and speaking back his nature to him and we're framing our lives in connection with him. So when we're singing, it's this act of deep connection with the Father. Um, okay, and then we have in, which is what, what we talk about is formation and discipleship. So our goal isn't community. Community is a, um, is a benefit of being formed in the way of Jesus among other people. And so we think that formation happens in the midst of community as a, as a byproduct of it. And then um, the out piece is what, when we talk about justice, we're talking about um, seeing the kingdom of God come to life by pursuing the flourishing of our city. And so that looks like us stepping into spaces and bringing the generosity of God's family to the world. It looks like us serving the people around us. It looks like us um, pursuing justice on behalf of poor and marginalized within our city. That's what justice looks like. And then it also looks like generosity, which is this radical work of saying that all that we have does not belong to us. It belongs to God. Therefore, we are conduits for God to take his stuff and deploy it where he needs in the city. And so we open our hands up generously and say, where does God want to use what we have? And then we proclaim that the kingdom of God has come and it is coming in its fullness with the the eschaton, the kingdom of God coming in power. And so we proclaim to the world, be aligned with Christ, repent of this world, join in with the family of God so that you can experience God's family now and experience what will come in, in the new heavens and new earth that will come in its fullness. So that's up in and out. Three parts that we need to be family on mission together. And then we've also talked about kind of what are the three pieces? How do we, how do we get there? We've talked about spiritual parents, um, and spiritual parents is like, we've talked a lot about this because we, we don't want to get authority wrong because spiritual authority is like this weird thing that's been deeply abused in our world. People like authority because it, it's a shorthand that makes them not have to do the things that are important. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, so what will happen with spiritual parents and spiritual authority is that all of you probably have some sort of church wound that comes from authority misused in the church. And so we're, we're, we, we're going to talk about it because it's, it's much more important than almost anything to look at how Jesus lived as a spiritual parent. But we have spiritual parents. We have predictable patterns, which we've talked about, which is what is the rhythms of up and out that we live within both as a network and as our individual oikos, those micro church. And then missional purpose. How do we make sure that we are focused outward, not inward. Because if we're focused on outward, we're focused on the mission of the church in the world to see the kingdom of God come to life, then we're going to do the right things to be formed in the way of Jesus and to be deeply connected to the Father because the mission is impossible without those two things. So we're going to have a missional purpose that we do. Um, okay, so that's just a little recap from the last couple weeks. Um, we're working on rhythms of up, in, and out. So we, we want to make sure Sundays are not actually good at formation uh, spiritually. Like there's, there's some good things that happen when we're together in a large group, but 
by and large, you're not going to have deep conversations with people who know you and love you and can challenge you when you're sitting in rows and listening to me for 30 minutes. Okay. So you need to be doing that outside of this in microchurch, those, those oikos. And then also within even um, what we call our huddles, which is this intentional disciple making environment. That's where we're formed. And so Sundays are good for up and they somehow, they have this good part where God brings people in from the outside and they experience God in powerful ways. But um, really tables, being around tables are great for practicing God's presence. Um, like we, we want, we want to remember that tables are where, like when we're sitting around tables, there's this deep connection with the father as we enjoy the fellowship of his people. We, we think that even, even times of prayer, like when we work on our up, it equals out because when we connect with the heart of God, it pushes us out. Um, and we think that even things like service events, they're, they're beautiful things, but they're, they're not up. You know, like they, they have a particular purpose. And so we need, we want to have rhythms where all three of those things are in alignment. And it's not, I, I don't know if you've ever hung out with people that are discontent with church. Anybody? No, just kidding. <laughs> Everybody has. Um, everybody's discontent with church because primarily all of us have one of those things that we're drawn to. And we think that the church should be doing more of that one thing. Some of you are like, I just love hanging in the Lord's presence, and I just, I want to sing worship songs forever. I don't get that. I like it. It's good, but it's not like my whole life. I, I get that that's like a beautiful thing, but I, I want to get out there and go do stuff, you know? And some of you are like, I just love deep formation, and I want to learn and grow. But you're like, you know, like the mission thing, that's hard. That's not, you know, like all of us have that one thing that we love. And when they get out of sync and there's not rhythm of all three, both on an annual basis and on a monthly basis, then we get out of alignment. You remember that picture of the guy who never does leg day? It's all upper body and this, the skinny chicken legs. That we, we don't want our church to be malformed by that. So we need all three. Okay, so let's keep on with talking about spiritual parenting and predictable patterns and missional purpose. And let's look particularly at Jesus today as a spiritual parent because I think that he has a lot to teach us. So if you have Bibles, turn to Mark, and I'm going to grab mine real quick. We're going to be walking through Mark just to see some little vignettes of Jesus and his disciples. Um, I, I recommend this, always going through a gospel, even if you read another place in the Bible, continually be in one of the four gospels because Jesus is the ultimate imitation. He is, he is what we want to be, and so we need to be always looking at Jesus. So let's look at Jesus. First, we see how, how he parents. Like, so I, I want you to put, put yourself as one of Jesus' disciples and think about what it looked like to experience Jesus' spiritual parenting. Okay, Now we're going to look at the, the Scripture and kind of like ask, okay, what does this tell us about spiritual parenting? All right, so let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, um, traditionally, Jesus has like seven brothers and sisters. 
That's like what they think. Like there's probably like this big family and he was the oldest. Now, I don't know if you have younger siblings, but they'll pretty much do whatever you want if you make them. If you coerce them in the right way, your younger siblings are at your disposal. You put your thumb on them and get them to do what you want. And Jesus had that option. Jesus had that option as not just somebody who has authority in the family. His father had probably died. That's History holds that his father had died. And that's why he doesn't show up in any of the Gospels. Um, it's, it's not a broken family. It's probably death because the average lifespan was way under what would have been 50 or 60 for Joseph. And Jesus does not gather up his little brothers and sisters and say, come follow me or I'm going to grab you by the ear and you're going to regret it. You know, like he did not threaten his little brothers and sisters. How did he choose his disciples? He stepped out. He found people who loved him, who listened to him and who served him. And he invited them and challenged them to come follow him. Okay? There was no obligation in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Now, family obligation is powerful now, and it was 10 times as powerful in the first century. But Jesus, as a spiritual parent, enters in with, I, I think it's much closer to adoption than it is to natural family. And that's how spiritual family should work, is that there should be no compulsion, there should be no... Um, coercion, there should be no manipulation or shame. There should be an invitation to come be a part of our family and a challenge to say, come be a part and you're going to be transformed by the experience. Come and follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so when we look at Jesus, we see he didn't, you will not find a place where he used shame or coercion ever. And yet it is a mainstay of Leadership in American society, coercion and shame. We're going to leverage our position. We're going to leverage finances. We're going to leverage connection to the community to get you to behave the way that we want to. This is what spiritual authority looks like in our culture, but that's not the way that Jesus did it. And so I want, I want to stop and go, okay, what, is, what does that look like for us as a community to be to have spiritual parenting where we choose one another. Jesus chose his disciples, and then his disciples responded by opting in. They said, yes, I want to be a part of that. Jesus didn't say, come and follow me or else. He said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Some people said yes, and some people said no, which you got you to think that some of those guys that said no are like, shoot, that really, that you know, those guys were really important in history. <laughs> uh, like the, these 12 dudes, they, 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 they made the right decision. They were early adopters. So what does that look like for us? Well, we choose one another. Over and over again, we choose covenant with one another. We step in and say, I am for you, and you were for me. I'm not going to lord it over you. I'm not going to make you be what I want you to be. We're going to choose one another. Jesus chose his kids, and then his kids chose him. That's a two-way choice. God calls, and we answer. Now, you're probably going to tell that I'm not a Calvinist as, as we talk, but I, I do think that God is sovereign in who he invites, and I think that he invites everyone. And I think that some will say no to him. And I, I believe that many people say no to God 
And it's not just the people who ultimately will say no to God, but you and I say no to God's will and God's calling in our lives every day. It's a constant feature of being human as God calls and invites us to walk with him. And we go, nope, I'm good. I got this one. Today's mine, Jesus. But that's the way his family works is he does not force. He does not coerce. And so we're not going to use coercion or guilt or shame. We're going to use invitation or challenge. We're going to invite you in, and then when you're here, there's going to be a challenge to continue to grow in the way of Jesus. But we have to continue to take that next step forward. Jesus was not just a spiritual parent who was in relationship, but he was also a spiritual parent who was a teacher. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 21 there in the next passage. Jesus and his companions went down to the town of Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people there were amazed at his teaching, and he, thought with, he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Now, in the first century, they were um, rabbis. They really didn't want to step out and make any sort of claim that they couldn't support. And so they would say, on the one hand, this, and on the other hand, this, because they're covering their bases spiritually. They're talking like, well, it could mean this. It could mean that God wants us to live a life generously. And it could mean that God wants to live a life that we only take care of our family. And then they would say, and you decide what you're going to do. But Jesus, when he came, he had a direct, deep connection with the Father of all things. And so when he taught, it looked different. Verse 23, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, saying, Be quiet, come out of the man. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience. They began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. This is a funny little story, but it's also like, it gives you a taste of the teaching of Jesus. Because when Jesus stands up and proclaims the will of the Father, he knew the will of the Father because he was so intimate with the Father. And he preached as if the heavenly realm and the earthly realm are existing side by side. He preached as if all things were under the submission and authority of the king of the universe and that he was the one in authority. That's what it looks like to teach in spiritual authority is to see the reality that when I'm preaching right now, there's a battle inside of us between our flesh and between the powers of darkness and between this world and the kingdom of God. And when we preach, we say forcefully, this is what God wants from us because he revealed it to us in his son, Jesus. And we also believe that when that happens and when we, when we hold our hands over one another and pray and we have authority over the powers of darkness because we are a part of the king's family, that God does some incredible things, bringing healing and freedom and transformation in people's lives. 
and that that will be a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work and active among us. That's why we pray for one another. That's why, you know, in rare occasions we're, we're praying that God would cast evil out of the presence of the people of God because that's what is needed. That was what spiritual authority looks like is to step in and know who we are and know what we're doing. Authority is about embodiment. Jesus had authority because he was an envoy, a representative of the Most High God. And so he wasn't just holding his own authority, saying, look at me. I can do miracles, and I teach good. Hire me. That's, that's, what, that's what pastors do. I, I can pray, and I can preach. You should hire me to be your spiritual authority. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus walked into a room, and he brought with him a signet ring that represented that he had the authority of God himself because he belonged to the king and he was his ambassador as though God were making his appeal through him. And what Jesus says is that he gives you that same work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, you have become ambassadors, envoys of the kingdom of God in this world, and that we walk with the same authority that Jesus walked with but that authority looked like this embodied understanding that I am deeply in alignment with what God is up to. And so I can live embodied as the kingdom authority in this world. But that authority doesn't look like Jesus lording it over, even the demons. Jesus speaks real forcefully to the demons, but Jesus isn't rude to the demons. Have you ever noticed that? Like Jesus isn't a jerk to the demons. <laughs> I, I, I was struck by that as I was reading this week because I was like, well, like, how does Jesus deal with, like, really hard people? And I'm not saying really hard people are demons, but I'm saying, like, if, if we look at the demons and how Jesus dealt with them, that gives us a picture of, like, Jesus sees the demons as a part of his creation. That he, I think, I think God still holds out hope that the demons themselves will repent of their, the demons themselves will repent of their rebellion and join in with the kingdom of God. And that's the sort of authority that we step into is hoping and praying and, and saying, when I see you, I see who you truly are, not just some bag of flesh sitting there with a brain attached to it, but that you have been endued with the Imago Dei and God himself wants you. That's the sort of authority that Jesus walked in. Because you plus the Bible plus the Holy Spirit is actually not enough to be formed in the way of the kingdom. We believe as Americans that I am the ultimate authority on my spiritual life. And that if I sit down with this English translation of the Bible and I listen to God's voice, then I will have a perfect understanding of who God is. That's not true. I don't know if you realize that. That's not true. Because you will bring to the text and you will bring to the voice of the Holy Spirit all of the flesh inside of you and all of its pulls in this world. And so we actually need one another to be an authority to call one another out and say, what you are saying here is not true. You have, you have misunderstood God and you have not taken the whole counsel of the Bible. You've taken what you want and you've done it yourself. And so we need to submit to one another to this sort of authority. It requires community and what Ephesians 5 says is, um, mutual submission. I, I, I like the passage before the mutual submission part because I think it, it kind of tees it up. Here's what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 15. 
So be careful how you live. Don't, don't live like those fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most out of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't get drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I just, I love that translation, New Living, because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled, be embodied by the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks to everything to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the wisdom of God laid out for you. Enjoy his spirit, enjoy communion together, and mutually submit to one another. What does mutual submission looks like? Well, I think in our community, what we're trying to create is a, a, an upside-down pyramid <laughs> where those who are in charge and those who lead are the ones who are going to take it in the teeth and put themselves underneath the community of servants. That's the sort of community that Jesus laid out for us. And when, when there are battles, it's not a battle between me and you. It's not a battle of wills. It's rather you and me trying to discern God's will and mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not battles over control or finances. Like It's easy for us to get up in arms and be like, I don't think that you made the right strategic decision about our budgeting initiative. Like That's easy because it feels out here. But in, in reality, what we need to do is mutually submit ourselves to one another and ask better questions like, what does it look like for us to live as a community that's completely submitted to the will of God and have our finances look like that? So it's not about me getting my way or you getting your way. It's about us submitting to Christ. It, it means that when there's problems in our community, you won't find walls going up. Like if, if you came to me and said, hey, Robert, I've got a real problem with you. Um, my first call would not be to our leader saying, hey, we got to rein this guy in and we got to make sure that you know, he doesn't talk to anybody else. Our first thought is going to be, let's get together and let's listen. Let's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to listen and we're, we're going to discuss and we're going to discern together the will of God. And I think that we've lived that out where there, we haven't had a lot of conflict. I'm not going to knock on wood, but I want to. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of conflict. Thank God, because I think that that is the culture that we're creating. But where we have had conflict, we've been able to work through it. Anybody who's willing to step in, like we're, we're willing and ready to listen and to be corrected by the body. Because I think that the elders and staff, we actually really want what God wants, not what we want. We have our things, but God, God is at work. Um, it means that we don't use manipulative power plays. Something like, God gave me a word for you. Okay. Now, God can give us words that are prophetic, and God can speak to us for other people, but we couch that in terms of, I have this word and this vision, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it up and say, I think that God may be speaking, and let you discern alongside me what God is doing. Instead of saying, hey, I need to fix you, and God gave me this picture of how I could fix you with this word from him. And therefore, I'm going to shame you into either doing what I say or not doing what I say because I told you that God said so. You know, if God said so, what am I supposed to do with that? Okay, I guess I have to do what you say because God told you. Actually, what we believe is that God's going to tell me too and that God's going to convict me of sin and judgment of righteousness by his Holy Spirit's power. 
And we don't see Jesus engaging in any of that. Jesus submitted himself to other rabbis. Did you know that? Like Jesus wasn't a rabbi who came out of nowhere. He was probably one of the most gifted students of his age. We see in this the short little um, temple excerpt when he was 12 years old that when he stepped into and underneath the rabbis at, at the temple at the time of the Passover, he was, he was engaging as a peer among these rabbis, but he was receiving from them. You see that Jesus, the very first thing he does in Mark is what? He submits himself to his cousin John. And John's uncomfortable with it. John knows who Jesus is. God's given John this supernatural understanding of who Jesus is. And Jesus submits himself to the teaching and the calling of John to repent and believe. This baptism of the kingdom. Jesus submitted himself not just to men, but also ultimately to the Father himself. Oh, jeez. He also, what he says is the he only does in, in John chapter 16 says, I only do what the Father tells me. That's the only thing I do is what the Father tells me and what the Father reveals to me. And that's the kind of submission and spiritual parenting that we want. So when we don't, when we don't submit to one another, like when we're when we're resistant to it, it's about my need to control and feed my ego and our need and demand for honor and places of recognition. Like all of us have some little part inside of us, a little boy or girl that feels disrespected. And we have been working our whole lives to put ourselves in a position where other people have to respect us and have to see in us value so that we can survive in this world. This world demands for us to develop an ego that protects us. But in the kingdom of God, there's this reversal. And the reason Jesus could submit himself ultimately was that when he submitted himself to John at the baptism, the father spoke clearly into him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. His identity was set in stone. His ego was protected because he wasn't his own, he was his father's. And so when, when you and I feel all that need to puff ourselves up and protect ourselves and to lash out to make sure that people know that we're strong, when we look at Jesus, we realize when we're living in connection with the Father, we actually don't need that. We can set aside our egos. We can set aside our need to build a vision of ourselves for the world to respect. And we can give away respect and honor. And in that, be honored by the king. That's what it looks like to be God's family and to do spiritual parenting. Jesus knew that his identity was firm as a beloved child of God. But he also knew that the end was decided that he, the kingdom of God would come, it would come in power, and it would restore all things to what it was meant to be in the end. And what that allowed Jesus to do is not to fret the battles along the way. What happens with us all the time is that we're not sure what's going to happen, and so we will do whatever it takes to make sure that we feel safe. And what that looks like is we, we, we come up with ways to... Trying to, trying to give a picture of this. If I'm not sure what's going to happen, 
I feel like I have to take control. So if, if I'm not sure that you're going to lead me right, and if you're not going to lead our community right, then I have to make sure that I grab control because I know that I'm going to do what I think is right. And so I'm going to grab control from you so that we can make sure that things go right. But Jesus had this deep trust that in the end, all things would be set right. And so all these intermediate things are much more about our formation and our participation in the kingdom than in making the kingdom itself come. Because Jesus said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we can be settled in knowing that when Redemption Hill no longer exists and when, you know, Boise is some, you know, post-apocalyptic hellscape and none, none of this exists anymore, whatever the future looks like. Um, I, I really don't even believe that, but it's just a funny thing to say. Uh, what, whatever the future holds... I know that the kingdom of God will prevail and that my place cannot be taken from it. That's why I can humbly submit myself to you. That's why you can humbly submit yourself to me is because we are secure. So spiritual parenting, it looks like Jesus. Um, we see that Jesus comforted and healed his people. He came alongside of them and put his hands on them and prayed for them. He sat with them in their pain. He didn't fix their pain. Um, he, he prayed blessings over people. He touched people who, who were healed. Um, and he, he was doing all of this. Uh, everywhere Jesus went, people felt and experienced the presence of God. That's what spiritual parents do as we bring with us the comfort and the peace of the presence of God. And so the like I, I think of, you know those people that make you feel less anxious? There's some people in your life who are, you know, highly differentiated. They have a deep sense of themselves, and when they walk into the room, they bring peace with them, a non-anxious presence. That's what it's like to be a spiritual parent like Jesus. Um, and what our work is to do is to imitate that. I, I have a little picture here. Let's see. There it is. So this was uh, this was the baptism last summer um, at down at uh, Chris Armstrong Municipal Park, and while we were there, uh, Theo had wanted to invite his friends, the Gammas. They hadn't yet joined Redemption Hill, and his little buddy Archer. They go to school together. They came for Theo's baptism and joined us, and you know eventually joined our community here. Um, but as he was coming up from his baptism, his grandmother grabbed hold of him, held him, and prayed a prayer of blessing over him. And what happened was Archer was watching, and he said, I want to be a part of this. And so he bowed his head, and he drew near, and he prayed this earnest little prayer for his buddy Theo. This is a picture of what it looks like for us to do spiritual parenting, where we, we demonstrate what it's like to follow Jesus, we have proximity with the people around us to see what it's like. And then they imitate what we do because it brings life. This is what disciple making is. is like, and This is why the kids are downstairs right now is because I, I want all of our kids to look like Grandma Robin because Grandma Robin deeply cares about what God wants and wants to teach your kids how to walk with God. And little people like Theo and Archer are sitting around listening and praying, and their little prayers are being formed by her intimacy with the Father and by our team's intimacy with the Father. 
Spiritual parenting is something we imitate, so we look at Jesus and we look at those who came along. Uh, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I, I want to have a little discussion time here before we, before we move along. Um, what, when you think about it, give me some examples of places where you've seen great leadership, great spiritual parenting that looks like Jesus. Maybe share a little story or vignette of somebody in your life that you've experienced that from. If you want to stand up or raise your hand, like I'm sure somebody comes to mind immediately, like who was a spiritual parent in your life and what, how did they emulate Jesus? I know I, I haven't been that uh, interactive. Bob is always doing this interaction thing. I'm, I'm trying to do it sometimes. Uh, yeah, Kitty, could you? Come grab the mic so that people can hear you. Sorry about those online. Yeah, um, when I was in college, my friend Melinda, I remember walking up to her and really nervously saying, hey, I've never been discipled, but I don't even know what it means, but would you just do it with me? <laughs> like, would you disciple me? And she said, yeah. And so every week I would just go up to her house and um, or like we'd meet at a coffee shop, but... I just had a lot of questions. Like I didn't know if I could trust God. I really didn't know about Jesus. I was really concerned with people in Africa who were not raised in like a white Christian westernized world. So like, how do they have access to Jesus the same way that we do? And um, I think she just emulated Jesus by just smiling and being like, yeah, let's pray about all of this. Like he is going to answer you and these are good, good, good prayers. Um, and she was just never afraid. Like any of my questions, she would just sit with me week after week, um, cry with me when I cried about like I was newly married and marriage is hard, <laughs> and then celebrate with me when we were newly married and marriage was amazing. <laughs> so I think it was just her calming presence of just like nothing is too big or scary or none of these questions are like too big for our God. I, I love that the spiritual parenting looked like her bringing you to the Father. Because that's what Jesus did, right? He he didn't he didn't see himself as the authority over all things, even though he was. He took them to the Father, which I think is beautiful. What else? What other stories do you guys have? People who have been those spiritual parents and what they've how they've looked like Jesus. Kitty went first. She gave you time to think. She gave you ideas, examples. I didn't even see her. She just showed up. I know. Sorry, Jess. You gotta... You're over here, so the camera's not going to get you. Um, they invite you into what they're already doing, the mundane parts of their life, like folding laundry and like, hey, come over and they, you sit at their counter and they give you cookies and hot tea and like that's spiritual parenting to me. Yeah. What if somebody said, I'd like to adopt you, but I only want to see you Sundays for an hour and a half each week. That would, that would feel weird as a parent to say, you don't have access to me. I think access and like inviting them into your lives, that's what Jesus did. That was one of our, several of our stories are people who invite us into their lives and said, come do life with us and we'll show you how to follow Jesus. They, they weren't going to walk us through a curriculum. They were going to show us what it was like. What else? One more story real quick. Matt. Was that an assist? That was nice. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, there you go. Uh, 
I was, uh, so when I was in college, I was discipled by a guy named Matt O'Brien and um, another Matt, so he's <laughs> to try it. Uh, and I just remember uh, like a couple times, actually right before I was getting ready, to, I was like thinking about proposing to Ketty and um, we sat down and he, he shared with me some really hard truth. And he said, um, if you were going to ask my daughter to marry her, I would have some concerns. And I just remember thinking like, hey, we were at a coffee shop, we're supposed to be having fun. But I think that, like, that, that he spoke truth, but he spoke it in love. And then he walked through the challenges that he had for me around you know, my relationship with money and um, some irresponsibility. But then he also equipped me with tools to say, like, I, I don't want to just like leave you here discouraged by saying, this isn't a good idea. What I want to do is help you grow in a way that's going to bring you closer to God in the kingdom, prepare you for a, a new marriage that might be really hard in the first few <laughs> years, I guess. Um, but it was just, it was just, it was amazing because I, I walked away kind of feeling like, oh, like I was, I was super excited because I was like sitting down to tell this guy, I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. And it wasn't what I expected, but it was what I needed. And I think like, as I think about spiritual parenting, that's sometimes the case. It's like, Spiritual parents aren't just there to like cheer you on and say like, you're doing great, do awesome, do awesome. They're there to tell you, you're doing great in some areas and you have opportunities, but I want to help you. I want to help you grow and I want to see you be successful. Yeah, there's a, there's a ditch on both sides of the road of authority. Like you see parents that are really permissive and their kids are awful and they're miserable. And then you see parents who love discipline and love to see their kids suffer and it makes very, very horrible outcomes in their lives. But the way Jesus did it was he was willing to step in and challenge, but he didn't revel in their misery and he didn't revel in their pain. He saw it as a pathway to growth, which I think is like such a powerful part of what spiritual parenting is. All right, Matt, the other Matt. Funny funny fact, I have 60 Matts in my Gmail contacts. I, I don't know why that is, but here we are. Yeah, this happened actually this past week um, a spiritual mother kind of just spoke truth into my identity when there was lie. And I didn't know the lie, but she just created a space of prayer to hear from the voice of the Lord and just speak truth into me. I had this lie that I was just believing that I was like unlovable and a waste of people's time and God's time. And she, you know, just spoke into that and prayed into that. And there was cool freedom and and just moments of just hearing from God. So I think it was centered around loving me through helping me hear from God and speaking truth into how God sees me and bringing freedom into that. So a space of prayer and identity. There's so much there, Matt. We don't, as spiritual parents, we don't give our spiritual children their identity, but we make sure that they know what it is. Same thing with our own kids. We, we gave them half of their identity. <laughs> their, their mother gave them half of their identity. But it's really God who says, this is who you truly are. And our job as spiritual parents is to remind them who they belong to, remind them what they're made for, and remind them that God has a purpose to live into. So this is, this is important stuff because all of us are becoming, if we're moving towards Christ and we're growing in Christ, we're becoming spiritual parents. 
whether we lead an Oikos micro church community or we have our own families where we lead or people, God brings people in our lives that we disciple and form. All of that means that we have to grow into Christ likeness as spiritual parents. So that's why, that's why we're talking about this. This isn't a tangential thing. This is a, a central thing. We invite the, the worship band to come forward. Um, and we can text to let the kids know that we're, we're finishing up as well. As you come forward for communion today, each, each week we do communion. This is just a little different because that's the way we are. Um, but when you come forward for communion today, I'd like you to do just a second of preparation and remember that when we step into communion, this is a, a symbol that we belong to God's family by seeing God as our father and allowing him to be the one that forms and shapes us as our spiritual parent. Okay. All the spiritual parenting we're talking about is the under spiritual parenting, the, the people God brings along as a part of that work. And so I want, I want to invite you to come receive communion and see it as a, as a representative, a representation of belonging to God's family and making him your father and letting him be your father, letting him decide who you truly are, letting him speak into you your identity as a beloved child of the one true God, who's a part of the king's family, who has a part of his mission to see his kingdom come in this world. So when you come forward to receive it, take the element back to your seat, and after this last song, we'll all take it together. Sound good? All right, Lord God, thank you for this time and this space. Thank you that you didn't just tell us what to do, but you came and you showed us. You came and you made your home among us, and you said, this is what it's like to be with God. This is what it's like to be a part of God's household. This is what it's like to walk in the ways of your kingdom. Lord God, may we be a people who look more and more and more like you because we seek after you and we imitate Jesus in every part of our, of our families, every part of our community, every part of our lives as we grow as people who follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.